You're listening to The Thrive Podcast, where every week we dive into a practical, tactical tip to bring you from a life of simply surviving to thriving. It's personal development for the everyday girl who is done with coasting through her days, done with feeling like she's missing out on the deeper meaning of her own life, and done with mediocrity once and for all. Because it's not enough to simply survive, you deserve to thrive. Welcome back to Thrive. In today's episode, I'm having a conversation with Suzanne Redmond, a wife, cat mom, restaurant server, and fellow podcaster who works to bring awareness to topics that we as women deal with daily, but may not feel comfortable talking about. Be sure to stay tuned through this episode, drop us your thoughts on social media, and without further ado, welcome Suzanne. Hello, thanks for having me. I'm very excited to be here today. So stoked to have you. I'm so excited about this conversation too because you speak so vulnerably and openly about really hard stuff and just help women know they're not alone, which I just love. So really like beyond going from simply surviving to thriving. So thank you for coming on Thrive. I I'm so excited. I'm really, <laughs> I'm just glad to be here. Thank you. Yeah. Kick us off. Why don't you with your story so that we can get to know you because holy moly, you've been through a lot. <laughs> yes. So it's definitely a multifaceted, very layered, much like an onion and Shrek story. <laughs> uh, but just kind of a little background on me. Um, in my younger years, I actually uh, grew up with two parents who uh, were in and out of recovery, dealing with uh, their own sets of drug addictions. Um, so I spent a little time living with a family member multiple times throughout my life growing up, just to kind of give my parents the, the space to hopefully reel themselves back in and try and, you know, get themselves on the straight and narrow. And um, so that carried me into the t up to about junior high time. Um, then that's when things got really difficult and a pretty dark for me. Um, my dad actually, mostly in my younger years, uh, was an alcoholic and now he's moved more into the drug scope of things. Um, but he was very violent when we were, when I was growing up, um, him and my mom had multiple physical altercations. They were very hot and cold off and on. They had had uh, multiple um, restraining orders against each other, but just couldn't seem to stay away from one another. So, you know, I feel like if anything, that kind of led me to my bad relationship in my early teen years. Uh, when I was 16, I happened to meet a, a man. He was a man. He was 21 years old at the time. So I definitely slipped through the cracks as far as parental supervision is concerned. And that took me down a really deep dark rabbit hole that lasted almost seven years. And I always say, I think of our relationship in almost just a mirror image to what I grew up with as mm. far as my parents are concerned. So it was very hot and cold. We broke up all the time, but when we were good, we were really good. When we were bad, it was very volatile on both of our ends. You know, I'm definitely not innocent there. But for me at the time, that was all that I had seen, all that I had known. And so I was just kind of 
fulfilling my family legacy destiny at that point in time. Then when I was 19, my mom actually had a stroke during back surgery. Uh, she was in a recovery center for about four months, four months to the date actually. And then she passed away suddenly. It was very unexpected. She had been making progress and we actually thought that she was gonna be able to come home to start in care, uh, in care process, but um, that didn't happen. And she had a really hard time after she had her stroke. She actually couldn't speak at all. Um, she couldn't talk. She couldn't walk. She had part of her skull cap removed because her brain had swelled up so much from her stroke. And the, the really unfortunate part about that was she had her stroke during surgery. So nobody realized she was having a stroke until five oh, or six hours no. after the fact. So had she been awake and had a stroke, you know, maybe something could have been different. Something could have been done. They could have recognized it a little sooner. Um, but the fact that she was pretty much just un unconscious at the time, you know, on, on the operating table definitely uh, played into the severity of, of what happened afterwards. So then um, I dropped out of high school at the age of 17. Um, mostly just to be with my super toxic ex-boyfriend. I was living with a family member at the time because uh, my mom was in rehab again and they were not impressed by him. And it makes perfect sense. He actually, at the time, it's funny to listen to myself tell my story out loud because it doesn't feel like me. It feels like I'm talking <laughs> about somebody else, but he actually at the time was in prison and so they said, you can either stay here with us, stay in school, but you have to cut off communication with him or you can go like be with him, like go visit him. That was it. my big thing was I wanted to go there to see him for my 18th birthday. Like who, most people are like, I want a tattoo. I'm going to get a sick car. I'm like, I'm going to prison for my 18th birthday. <laughs> and they were like, no, you can't do that and live here. So I dropped out and I did go on that visit and it that steadily declined and he was incarcerated for a year and our relationship rapidly went downhill when he got out. Uh, eventually we parted ways after a lot of years and a lot of trauma. And that's when I met my husband. And ever since then, I would say my life has been on a rapid incline and just keeps getting better. So that's a lot of information to retain, but <laughs> that's that's just like the very top layer. Uh, well, it's good though that you sound, I love hearing that you say it sounds like you're not even talking about yourself because I feel like that's so evident of the growth and the positive change that happened in that period yeah. of time to be able to look back and be like, who was that? But I mean, <laughs> she i'm sure helped make you into the strong woman you are today so that's at least a good thing you know yes definitely <laughs> a lot of stepping stones to get here but thankful for the process totally how do you think you made it out so to speak like to from growing up with your parents being in and out of active drug addiction to this toxic long-term relationship at a pretty young age i mean that could easily have been the start of a story 
with not the best ending. And unfortunately, we see people who who that is their story. So what how do you think you got out of that? Um, So first and foremost, just watching my parents during my upbringing between the toxicity and the drug abuse, all of that involved, I vowed that when I was an adult, I didn't want to be like that. I, I know that addiction's not a choice. You know, addiction has its own manifestation, but I told myself I wouldn't put myself in a situation where it could manifest because I knew that I was highly susceptible just from my family lineage. Like I come from a long line of addicts. So I promised myself that I would just not put myself in harm's way intentionally because I also have a very... I'm very much instant gratification. I'm very much uh, fly by the seat of my pants. And when you put those things together, you can definitely get yourself in trouble. So I've always had to be very mindful of the situations I've put myself into. And as I got older, I actually got into the restaurant industry. So I went from, this is a true story. I worked at a Dairy Queen at the time. And I ended up getting a job at a fine dining steakhouse, which I don't, I don't know how that happened. But did they have I, ice cream? Is the they did have ice cream? But it, was fan, it was fancy ice cream. Oh. And I know it's not quite the same. No flipping over your blizzards there. <laughs> and I would say that that actually drastically changed my life for the better because it put me in a room with people that I would have never crossed paths with the way my life was going. And I would say that that was my saving grace that I met quote unquote normal people because my whole life had been very chaotic and I had only known that. And to me, that was my normal. So this was my first time interacting with people in my adult life that didn't relate to that, that were just different. And I think that just seeing hey, other people don't live like this. And hey, when I tell people my story, they're really off put by it. Maybe it's not as normal as I think it is. And I think that just having different kinds of people brought into my life really changed the trajectory for me. Oh, totally. And I mean, you're so right. Like that is what makes it so hard to break out of any cycle, whether it's something as as chaotic or dramatic as what you experienced or whether it's just bad habits that your parents passed down to you, like Mm -hmm. just, you know, like leaving laundry in the wrong spot, (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. like it's, we, we don't realize when you're immersed in it, how much that impacts us until you are completely thrown onto a different Island. And you're like, wait, whoa, this isn't actually how the world works. And it can like totally throw you off. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. What was the transition like then going from, what was such a long-term unhealthy relationship to then meeting the man that you're now married to? Like, what was, what was, at what point were you like, okay, wait, this one's unhealthy and toxic and I want out. Mm -hmm. And then what was that time period? Like when you met your husband and you're like, oh wait, I'm a different person. He's a different person. This Mm -hmm. is like a totally different scenario we've got going on and it's really good. I won't lie, I actually had a very hard time transitioning, not just, not really out of the relationship, because when I decided I was emotionally done with that, I broke away from it and cut all contact. But mentally, 
you know, you are conditioned after a certain amount of time, your behaviors are conditioned, your reactions are conditioned and, you know, things like insecurity, like there was infidelity involved. So insecurity and not feeling safe, things like that, that's deeply embedded in me. So when I met my husband, Jacob, I was very untrusting. I was like, you are probably not who you're presenting yourself to be. I probably can't trust you. I don't know that I want to give it a try because most likely it won't work out. So there was definitely a lot of push and pull between the two of us. And I'm very fortunate that he was extremely patient because I was very combative is really the best way to put it. He'd be like, I like you. And I'm like, no, you don't. You're lying. Or, you know, just things like that. I just was in a place where I wasn't very trusting. So it took us many months of that continued effort on his part for me to feel like this is a safe place. This is a safe human. And I think he means what he says. Because even going back to my childhood, like my dad is a gaslighter. So he'll just tell you any kind of emotional manipulation that needs you to, to get you to do what he wants. So I just assume since that is my experience that more people are like that than not. So this is my first experience as an adult with some kind of healthy romance. And it definitely was a long road, but obviously now it's definitely paid off. Mm-hmm. Totally. And everything with your mom too was like, holy mackerel. I can't even imagine that emotional roller coaster beyond dealing with addiction on one side and then also having such a traumatic fluke medical thing happen on the other side. Mm -hmm. You said she passed away and you were 19, I think you said. Mm -hmm. So what was that? I mean, this sounds like a dumb question coming out of my mouth, but like, what was that like for you? You know, like how did that affect you and how did you cope? Because I'm sure, I mean... You, you could just think of the complications of relationships and that's like mm-hmm. complicated on a whole new level. Yeah. So uh, first and foremost, I think the thing that gave me a good peace of mind is my mom actually died with uh, three years of sobriety. So oh, she had like reached that peak after a long stretch of valley, which was really important to her. So I know that she didn't inflict this on herself and so it doesn't make me feel any type of anger towards her in that regard i feel like you know a lot of time like overdoses and suicide the the people who are left behind feel really angry rightfully so and that makes sense but uh in my case i felt at peace with it and her living condition at the time after her stroke not being able to walk not being able to talk she had to relearn how to count to 10 so she the words that she could say was she could count from one to 10 because they taught her that and i'm very pushy that's just my personality so she couldn't say my name and i was like she's very aware but she just couldn't communicate and i was like no you gave birth to me like i'm your favorite child like you you're gonna have to relearn to say my name like you have to and so we worked on it and worked on it and worked on it and she couldn't compute her thoughts outwards so then suzanne became her answer for everything Ah. every single thing so i was like what is this and it'd be an orange she's like "Mm, suzanne and like so it just 
stuff like that like made me feel a little at peace never I'll never be at peace with her not being here but right. that it was not on her own accord mm -hmm. and I feel like for the first I don't know probably three or four years I very much compartmentalized her passing because my home life and my relationship was so chaotic that I didn't have time to process my mom's death because I was constantly in an emotional whiplash mm -hmm. in my romantic life. So I really just stuffed it away for a long time. And I would say just in the, this, this happened when I was 19, I'm about to turn 28. So it's been a while. And I would say that I'm just now in the last couple of years, like starting to deal with it, starting to grieve. And I'll be honest, it's very overwhelming. So, you know, I don't, I don't allot myself a lot of time to like openly think about her and grieve. I like to set that time intentionally because when I do think about it, it's very overwhelming. Mm -hmm. So I try to at that time like i'm going to go to the cemetery that's my time that's very peaceful for me i i'm the weirdo like i take a blanket i'll, I'll take a nap there i'll make i'll have a picnic there like it's very comforting to me but that's my time and then when i have to go back to my life i'm just not able to bring that with me yeah it's just too overwhelming totally that yeah. almost makes me think of oh my gosh it's not nearly as as complicated, but it was like, I remember anytime I'd be dealing with like a silly breakup in high school mm -hmm. or something. And my mom would always say like, okay, you have five minutes yep. to be as sad as you want to be. And then you mm -hmm. have to figure out how to move past this because mm -hmm. you can't just sit in that negative space and wallow forever. Like there's nothing productive that's going to come from that. So give yourself your time set, literally set a timer if you need to, and then step away forward. <laughs> yeah. You have to, you have to lay it down sometimes. Mm -hmm. Otherwise you won't be able to live your life for yourself because you will constantly be grieving what you don't have. Yeah. And then you miss out on all the things that you do have and are happening around you that are positive. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I'm glad you said that too, because it's, even if it's not the law, the death of someone, you know, that, mm -hmm. that works regardless of what sort of loss you're facing or what sort of, you know, what, even if it's like a failure and you didn't get a job that you thought you wanted or something mm -hmm. like it's any sort of loss at any, on any scale, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's just, that's, that's so important. <laughs> yeah. Just disappointments in general. Yeah. Anytime you feel let down, you definitely need to give yourself time to acknowledge that. But at some point you have to say, okay, I've been through tough things. And so for me, I always use that as a scale, like, okay, well, if I can get through that, I can get through anything. If that, if that didn't kill me, if that didn't break me, if I'm still carrying on after that, I can literally do anything. Yeah. So what were some of maybe the biggest keys to your continued healing after so much hardship? therapy. <laughs> that, that I always tell people, you should probably even if you don't think you have any problems that are uh, massive, like you should go to therapy anyways, because it's Amen. just, it's healthy to have somebody who is not emotionally invested in your life. And 
comes from a very objective perspective. So you're able to go in, process your feelings with someone who is equipped to help you deal with that in a positive way. And then you leave and it's just like, just like what I said, like you go there, you spew out your problems and then you leave it behind. And that to me, I don't, therapy is hands down the number one thing. Just there, it's the thing. Oh, totally. I'm, I'm curious if you have any thoughts on this. Do you ever, is there any specific sort of like technique or recommendation that your therapist ever gave you over the years that you still use to this day when you're processing things where you're like, whoop, that nugget was like the most helpful tool that they equipped me with. Um, I wouldn't say like processing as I would say like breathing techniques is definitely when you're overwhelmed, like breathe. I would say most of my actual processing skills that I have stuck with come from my husband (laughs) because I'm a very emotionally driven person Mm -hmm. and he's a data driven person. So we're very polar opposites. So anytime I am feeling overwhelmed, I'm like, okay, what would Jacob do? What would Jacob say? He would take the fact, he would gather the facts because, you know, data over drama is, is the thought. And then he would make a decision based off of the pros, the cons, and the facts, and then look at it from that scope. Cause I'm very much like, I feel this way and this makes me feel this way, but that's not always the case. That's just the experience that I'm having. Right. Yeah. That is so good to hear too, because it makes me think of, um, I said this, oh my gosh, I don't know, even remember which episode it was on where I like to say feelings are not facts. Because mm-hmm. especially I'm like you, we're like yeah. super emotional, can easily <laughs> snowball. And it's mm-hmm. like, sometimes you have to get a grip and be like, you know what? My feelings might feel, they are very valid and they are very real in this moment. But mm-hmm. just because I feel them does not mean that they are factual. And that does not yeah. mean that because I feel this way or I think this thing, that does mm-hmm. not give it weight in reality. Like it could be completely not real. Yes. And it's like, we have to remind ourselves of that sometimes because especially for people who are emotionally driven like us, it's, oh my gosh, it's so easy to let that literally snowball right down the hill. Oh yeah. And it happens very fast. Yeah. So fast. Oh, truly. (laughs) And then I would say, this is just a quote that I see on like Instagram all the time, but Mm -hmm. I, I kind of look at it through the same scope as like, if it won't matter in five years, don't give it more than five minutes. Oh, I love that. Yeah. It's so true. It's easier said than done, but that's what I try to come. I try to come back to this place. Like, does this really matter in the grand scheme of my life? Mm-hmm. Probably not. I'm just mad now. Uh-huh. Yeah. And it's not saying don't give it any credence in, no. you know, like it's still giving you the opportunity to be upset or to get pissed off for a hot second. It's just yeah. trying to put into perspective. All right. How much of your precious life are you actually going to devote to this thing? And is it yeah. worth it? Right. Absolutely. Well, your story is laced with so much resilience too and grit, which obviously makes sense because your podcast is called Redefining Resiliency. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I love that. But what does resilience mean to you? And how do you think you developed so much of it? <laughs> Not by choice. Yeah. Being well, thrown I in guess, the fire. <laughs> yeah, I just got thrown in the fire. It's like, figure it out. But 
I think to, to me, what I, this is why I call it redefining resiliency, because I feel like you do have to let yourself fall sometimes, but you just need to make sure if you fall down a hundred times, you get up a hundred and one times. And to me, it's just knowing that I can persevere through anything. And it's not always going to be pretty. Sometimes it's actually going to be like outright ugly and that's okay. But just knowing that I am highly capable to go through the waves of life. And to me, resiliency is just not getting knocked down forever. Just knowing that you can take a moment. If something bad happens, that's okay. But you'll find a way to push through and be even better than before. Like you said, surviving versus thriving. And to me, it's kind of that mentality. I'm so glad you said it like that too, because I feel like people forget that sometimes Mm -hmm. where we think like, okay, you know, to be resilient and strong, you have to like stand up very victoriously and you've got like your, your suit of armor and your shield. And it's like, kind of like this big, big shot warrior mentality. And we forget that like, literally all you have to do is stand back up. Like you can Mm -hmm. still be metaphorically speaking, like covered in blood, sweat and tears, not Mm -hmm. at all looking your finest. You just got to get back up and continue the fight. And it doesn't matter what, what sort of like external appearance that takes on in the Mm -hmm. moment, you just got to keep going. Yeah. You just have to keep going. That's really, that's really it. It's just knowing that you can keep going. Cause I feel like if anything were to stop any of us, it would only be our mindset on the matter. We are the only things that are stopping ourselves because we get so in our head and especially us emotionally driven people, we get blurred from the facts like, hey, I made it through something way harder five years ago. This isn't really a big deal. This is just a little block, but it's not a deterrent forever. And like you said, too, you said this earlier where you were like, you're talking about your story and you're like, wow, it doesn't even feel like me. It's like, we forget that sometimes because Mm -hmm. you, I mean, this is like literally the body's response to trauma. It's like you can block out the most Mm -hmm. painful points in your life. So it's like, sometimes you repeat your own story, you're out loud and you're just like, whoa, wait a minute. (laughs) Like I did that. What? And you forget (laughs) because time might, you know, put a buffer there or maybe even heal some of what you actually felt in that moment. But it's, I think it's important and valuable to remember that and just literally as perspective for how Mm -hmm. badass you are in getting through those hard things to just be able to be like, you know what, go me. Like I, I got through, I am still here. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes women, especially instead of looking back and using it as a marker to like, hey, wow, I've made it this far. They just look back and I'm guilty of this too. I do this sometimes when I repeat my story, I look back with shame Mm. instead of looking back with astonishment in the things that I've accomplished since then, because I don't want people to look at me through the lens of, oh, she was just in a toxic relationship or she's just a drug addict's kid. So, you know, sometimes you distort that in your mind and then you start to feel ashamed of where you've been and i think that that is something that holds us back in just continuing to progress because we aren't able to look back in amazement with ourselves we're looking back just disgusted with who we were at that time Mm -hmm. 
I'm so glad you mentioned that too, because that's so prevalent. And I think, like you said, with women, especially, how have you gotten past that yourself? It takes a lot of mind work. And uh, I do a lot of journaling for me that has kind of helped. So something that I have been told to do is write a letter to yourself five years ago and to the person that you think you'll be in five years from now. And then just thanking your past self and sometimes you just have to apologize to yourself too. Like instead of being ashamed, just say, hey, I'm sorry that I put you through that and that I didn't show you enough love back then. Instead of, oh, I'm so ashamed. It's no, I just wasn't in a place where I could exude that kind of self-love, but I'm in a different place now. So it's just a lot of reframing work. And I find best for me that writing is the best way to do it or podcasting because you're able to talk about it. I just think being intimately honest about it is the best route. Totally. I love that. I know you're also big on creating healthy boundaries. And obviously mm -hmm. that's so important in both relationship with others and with yourself. So how do you do that? Because I know you've also had you, I mean, you've had to do that so many times in your life and I'm sure mm -hmm. continue to in a much, in a much healthier uh, way than maybe you had to in the past. So mm -hmm. talk to us about that process. So for me, this has been a long ongoing journey and I'm still, I'm still learning that it's okay to have boundaries because I feel like a lot of times we don't feel like we deserve to have boundaries. We just need to do the things that people ask of us. So for me, it was a really a lot of work to getting to the point to where I felt like I deserved to even have boundaries in the first place. And I feel like people around you can sometimes make you feel like you owe them something. And I had to get to the place to where I believed in my mind and in my heart that I don't owe anybody anything except for myself. So if you're not serving me, then you have to go because I, I can't have anybody slowing me down from where I want to be. And I can't allow myself to have people in my life that hold me down or make me feel bad or only want me in their life when they need something from me. Cause all of that is emotionally draining mm -hmm. and impacts. It could impact my marriage. It can impact my performance at work, which in turn like disrupts my home life. And then you like bring work into the mix that can affect your money or finances. And so it's just like, it can spiral with such a small start, just a feeling and it can spiral. But if you feel like you love yourself and you deserve to be respected and you look at everything through that lens and you say, you have to weigh the pros and cons. What good does this person bring into my life versus what stress does this person bring into my life? And if there's more stress than there is good, or if you're outpouring more than you're getting back, they gotta go. They just, they gotta go. So what, do you have any advice on how to have that hard conversation with people. If someone has maybe even a loved one or a friend that, you know, it's totally not a balanced situation and maybe someone doesn't want to cut them out completely yet, but they mm -hmm. want to start creating some healthy space and maybe yeah. taking a step back. 
what kind of, how do you even broach that conversation? I would say first and foremost, you should get your thoughts down on paper and you should write out what you want to say, not in a text message. Do not, don't do this via text because <laughs> text can be misconstrued. Totally. But I do think you should get your thoughts down on paper so that you have a basis for what you want to say so that you're less likely to get sidetracked. And if that person reacts towards you in an emotional manner, you have your facts on paper that you can redirect the conversation back to. And I think it's important to let people know, hey, you know, in therapy, they say, when you do this, I feel like this kind of thing. Like, and instead of blaming them, just saying, hey, this is the behavior that you're doing. And this is how I feel in response to it. And not coming from a, a, a mean spirited place or a, you're broken, there's something wrong with you place, especially if you're hoping to be able to continue on with that relationship, mm -hmm. but more just, hey, you have some behavior that is making me feel unappreciated. Or when you do this, I feel like you don't value my time when you show up late, stuff like that. And just being very frank, but not coming from a, a place of facts. You have to show feelings like this is your behavior and this is how I feel about it. Mm -hmm. So, so I, I would definitely, definitely always suggest writing out your thoughts first though, because emotions can take you in any which way, any direction at any time. So you just need to have a baseline to come back to. And then I would also say the, the ability to have a successful conversation like this will also come from that person, whether or not they're open, whether or not, and that may be an indicator to you, whether or not they really value that relationship enough to feel like they are willing to, to not necessarily change their whole life or behavior, but realize that you're being negative, negatively affected and hey, I love this person enough and they're important enough to me. I didn't realize I was making them feel this way. Let me pivot so I can be a better friend, wife, husband, whatever. But you, if you want to continue that relationship, you should give them the chance to pivot, but not too many chances. And that can be so hard because it's like, how long is the rope you're giving them? You know, like it's, mm -hmm. it's something where it's not necessarily fair of us to expect overnight, complete mm -hmm. 180 change, but there has to be some sort of intentional effort on the other person's part mm -hmm. to reaffirm the fact that you're still in this conversation and still in this relationship with someone where you're like, okay, like we're taking steps here, but yeah, I think I've done that before in the past as well in terms of writing down all of my bullet points. And then <laughs> when you're having the conversation with someone, it's so helpful to be able to just even just keep your own frame of reference and keep yourself grounded in mm -hmm. this is the direction that it's going, especially if it's a hard conversation where you have no idea how the other person might react emotionally. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Data so, over drama. <laughs> I love that. Data over drama. Oh, thank you, Jacob, for that one. <laughs> thank you, Jacob. <laughs> so for, for any listeners who might be struggling really in the thick of it right now, feeling like they're barely surviving, um, maybe not, you know, not yet seeing the light on the other side, what advice would you give them, you know, to break out of that 
perpetual survival mode that they're in and to see the light again and to try and thrive again. There are some things that I personally implement that work for me. And so first and foremost, uh, starting your day with a gratitude list. It doesn't have to be anything crazy. I have a little like, it's called a five minute journal. And every day you go in, you list three things that you're grateful for, what you're excited to do in the day. And then uh, at nighttime, you follow up with good things that happen to you and what you look forward to the next day. And I think just starting to get in the habit of looking for the good things in life will eventually change the way you perceive it. Because when you're in a bad spot in your mind and in your life, you start looking for confirmation bias. You are generally seeking out things that confirm the fact that your life is hard or bad. And it's a subconscious thing that we all do. And confirmation bias is a real thing that happens to everybody. But if you change your bias from my life is bad and hard to wow, I have a lot to be grateful for, that will naturally change the way your outlook is on your life. And then I would also definitely say movement is a really big thing, movement. It doesn't have to be any strenuous physical activity, but getting outside, walking, if you're a runner, if you like to lift weights, if you like yoga, even if you just like turn on music and dance around your house when nobody's around, movement is incredibly helpful to relieve stress and anxiety. And so I think that that is something that should definitely be utilized. If you, if you're capable and you're able-bodied and you have that luxury, that that is something you can do, you should be doing it. I would say sleep is important. Eating the right foods is important, but most importantly, I would say filling your social media and your mind with positive people who are constantly spewing not fake or forced positivity but people that you can look to to be positive you should probably be reading some kind of personal development book or listening to a personal development podcast something in the sphere you need to have something in the sphere of the direction that you're trying to go to you need to be consuming that kind of content I'm so glad you mentioned confirmation bias also because it reminds me there's a previous episode on Thrive for anyone listening. If you want to go back and make sure you've listened to the episode with Dr. Wendy O'Connor because we talk about the fact that, you know, if you're thinking, are you a pessimist or are you an optimist? As hard as it might be, you can change your natural tendency. Like it might be really freaking hard and take some time, but even if you're a glass half empty kind of gal, you can shift that like it's not yeah like it's not something that is this permanent decree on your life that you're always going to be a negative nancy or that you're always going to just see the worst in people or in things like it really is an intentional effort of you know shifting what you are focusing on and looking for something different it is not like it's just going to magically i always like to think like happiness does not just fall down and hit people on the sidewalk like you it really is the pursuit of happiness so it you have to change what you are looking for in this world because if you're looking for it you will find it so are you going to look for the good positive happier things in life or are you going to look for all of the things that are wrong in life because 
you can find both. It's yeah. just a matter of which one you're looking for. Definitely. And I know I'm sure everybody has been guilty of this at least one time in their life. But I always think of this example, you know, when you're feeling sad and you're down and you're like, I think I need to listen to Adele. And then you just like feel even worse than before versus if you're just like, I'm feeling really sad and I'm going to listen to some really upbeat music, your mood will naturally go up but if you're doing things to to feed your misery that's exactly what's going to happen is you're going to just be more miserable Mm -hmm. and sometimes it's hard because you have to call yourself out and be brutally honest with yourself and be like you know what self this isn't helping (laughs) like Mm -hmm. this might you might think you're gonna somehow magically be feel better after this Mm -hmm. binge of whatever negative thing you're you're binging yeah. But at the end, but it's not actually fixing your mood. Like you, yeah. like you said, you're wallowing in your self-pity for a hot second. But yeah. if you are really being a little bit intentional and different with what you're putting in your life instead, some of that change is really undeniable. Yeah. And I, I really like what you said about calling yourself out. So my girl, Emily Helderman, she has her own podcast as well. And in one of her episodes, she talks about specifically naming your inner mean girl, like giving her a name and talking to her out loud. Like, hey, what? we'll just use my name. Hey, Suzanne, I'd give myself like a beast, something like Beyonce, I don't know, something oh, fancy. Yeah. But uh, just calling yourself out, but by a different name so that you can identify that that person is not tied into your identity. That is somebody else. Mm-hmm. I that love is not that. your true self, not your true self. That is somebody that lives in your brain that is just pestering you, but that's not you. And that I've heard that before. And I absolutely love that. And I think when I heard it in the past, it was kind of tied to also like if someone walked into your house and just started talking crap on you and mm-hmm. insulting you and saying all of the things that they didn't like about every room and you and just everything, would you let them stay and cook dinner for them? Like, no, you'd be like, excuse me, get out of my house. You're mm-hmm. not a nice person. But so often we do that to ourselves. We're like the mean girl in our brain walks in yeah. and we let her not only sit and hang out, but like, we cook her a nice meal and then we save room for dessert. And it's like, what mm-hmm. are we doing? We're like letting this stay there when yeah. really as hard as it might be, sometimes we have the power to be like, excuse me. No, you're not, you're not invited here. Mm-mm. <laughs> and I think, I think that consuming positive content of people who have figured out a way to navigate that is very important. And I never want I personally never want to consume content and come from a I'll never get there space like, oh, she's light years beyond me. To me, it's that's proof that it's if it's possible for somebody else, that's proof that it's possible for me, too. That's awesome. Do you have any favorites that you love following for that reason? Uh, like podcasts or in general, any like in any, general? Yeah. Um. So I really I'm a, I'm a podcast person and I like to read books. So I would say uh, Atomic Habits, even though oh, it's, such a good it's like not personal development in like an emotional sphere. I think it's very important to learn how your habits 
are formed and how they work and how you can change them. I think that's a very powerful tool. And then my man, Trent Shelton, he- Love Trent Shelton, yes. I am obsessed with him. And just the way he just like pumps you up and just speaks life into you. And so I'll just like listen to him. I'm like, Trent, you don't know me, but like we're best friends. And- right, in my head, I'm like Trent's in my circle and he yeah. has no idea I exist, no but idea. like we run tight. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then um, I there's a, a podcast that I really liked uh, called Empower Her. And it's by uh, this sweet girl. Her name's Keisha. And she just kind of formats it a lot like you, like very positive conversations that need to be had among women, but in a casual context. And so for me, I respond best when I feel like somebody is talking directly to me versus like, oh, they could be talking to anybody. It's like, no, this person is, this message was made for me. They're talking to me and we might as well be together right now, hanging out and drinking wine. Right? Pass the Cabernet. (laughs) Pass it, please. (laughs) Oh my gosh, I love it. Well, Suzanne, I want to wrap things up by asking you two questions that I ask everybody who comes on the Thrive Podcast. And that is... What does thrive mean to you? And how do you strive to thrive in your everyday life? So to me, thriving means that you are living in the mindset that you just want to be better every day, that you don't have to make huge leaps and bounds every single day. And you're not just solely basing your life's worth off of your on paper accomplishments, but you're just striving to be better every day and to be happier every day, to feel more fulfilled every day and just taking little steps to get you there. And that that to me means you're thriving. If you are just looking towards the future, thankful for the past and knowing that you want to continue to be better, that's great. I love that. That's so true. So thank you again for coming on Thrive and so awesomely, vulnerably sharing all of the, oh my gosh, the stuff that has brought you to where you are today and made you who you are. It's awesome. I'm sure it's impacted so many people listening. Tell us where we can find you online if people want to connect with you further. Okay. So on, I'm on Instagram. That is my preferred social media platform. And my handle is at it's just Suze, I-T-S. J-U-S-T-S-U-Z-Z-Z. Three Z's. <laughs> Three Z's. <laughs> Three Z's. And then I also have a podcast as well, Redefining Resiliency. And I, I would love for you guys to come hang out and check that out as well. And drop it five stars while you're at it. Drop it five stars. No pressure. <laughs> Wait, before you go... If you like what you just listened to, drop us five stars on iTunes. Make sure you're subscribed to never miss an episode of Thrive. And if you're on Instagram, snap a screenshot and share to your story with what episode you're tuning into and tag me at Erica Legenza with what part resonated with you the most. That way I can see what's helping you and your friends can pick up a helpful tidbit too. Thanks for tuning in. It's your time to thrive.